0: The following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. Thank you, Renee, for that wonderful introduction. How many know it's good to see a pastor just kind of wiped out? Wouldn't you rather just have a pastor that is lost in the presence of the Lord? You know, the dignity is way overrated. And uh, I so appreciate the way that Renee is pursuing the heart of the Lord. I mean,. they're just back from Reading, and they, they're, they're people that are investing themselves, both Jay Bryan and Renee, are investing themselves in the kingdom because we just cannot afford to have church as usual. We just cannot afford in this day, in this age. I have a conviction America is one of the most dangerous places there is to be a Christian. Not because our lives are threatened but because of the relative ease that we have where we can become complacent and we can pursue every God that we want without any kind of a consequence, hardly. Eternal consequences are there. But I believe that there are many walking dead right now. And it's our purpose for a call to life. (laughs) It's a purpose... I've been called to life within the last 2 years. I've I've been, I've you know it's so easy to get complacent and just moving by the motions, just walking out of habit and out of ritual. There's an awakening, beloved. There is an awakening of the soul. Are you hearing? Are you hearing the call of the trumpet? Uh, My my exhortation to us as a body is to give yourselves to the season. Sylvester Seasons, where is he? You forgot to mention the season that we're in. (laughs) This is an amazing season that we're in. I tell you, the church is rising up in a beauty. There's there's a, a... an anointing coming to the church. There is a grace that is present for the church to come into a place of repentance. Lifelong addictions, lifelong sin, lifelong complacencies being broken off. And what it is, it's a yes. <laughs> it's a surrender. It's not even a working. It's a surrender into a kingdom. So we're, I love the topic of the month this month is your kingdom come and I'm just finding that your kingdom come has a different meaning to me now than it had two years ago. Your kingdom come has a different connotation and a different oomph, a different emphasis. It's no longer about bringing something from heaven so that it can kind of have a place in a nice little capsule you know, in, in, on earth, on the planet. Oh, maybe we can get some healings. Maybe we can get some deliverance. Maybe we can get some people speaking in tongues. Maybe we can have little bits and pieces of the kingdom. I tell you, your kingdom come to me has become a saturation of a kingdom that is already at hand. It's an awakening of a kingdom that is already in your heart. It's an awakening of a truth of the king. What is a kingdom? A kingdom is the domain, the realm where the rule of the king has dominion. And I tell you, that isn't here or there, it starts in our hearts. (laughs) Does the king rule in our hearts? To what measure does the king actually have dominion and rule in the Canaan of your heart. See, we're given the land. How I many know it's one thing to be given the land. It's another thing to possess it. And there's a place right now where the Lord is saying. Go cross the Jordan River. Possess the land. Go encourage. Be strong. Be mighty. And go and encourage. And, and, and take the land. The Canaan of your heart that has yet to be conquered. How many know that'll be a lifelong process, but it's the matter that we're going, that we're moving, that we're saying yes, that we're surrendering. One of the most powerful visions that I think I heard in the time of the craziness of COVID and the craziness of uh, the stuff, the election and all the stuff that was happening was Chris Valatin, where he was sitting there or he was standing here and Jesus was in front of them. Jesus stood up, turned around and faced him, and He said, I'm taking back my church. Get out of the way. Now, I don't know. I was pastoring at that time. And that spoke to me. Dave, you can no longer do business as usual. The times and the seasons require a fanatical commitment to him a fanatical pursuit of him. So when we talk about your kingdom come, it's the place where the king's domain is. Now it's all around us, but how many know there's a usurper? (laughs) There's a liar. And he is here to convince us that his kingdom is not here and it's not available. It's a lie. When Jesus came on the scene in chapter... um, well, Matthew, let's read. This is my opening scripture, actually. Sorry, I got lost in exhortation. <laughs> I'm not used to doing this, you know. Matthew chapter six, verse thirty-one. Therefore, do not worry, saying, "What shall we eat? What do we drink? What do we wear?" For after these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I've reasoned that scripture away. I mean, you know, we've got responsibility, right? I mean, I've got to know the latest of what's going on in the news, and I've got to do this. And there's this false sense of responsibility that we have, and... We do need to be responsible. We we need to be responsible with life, right? But there is a place where the enemy has so magnified what he's doing in the earth that people are just perishing in their faith out of fear. And this scripture has come to make a declaration that the kingdom of God, seek first, seek first, seek first. First, the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of the United States. Not the kingdom of Europe, the European Union. Not the kingdom of whatever you want. China. <laughs> Did I say that like President Trump? China. <laughs> Anyways, no, it's not that kingdom. Think first. That there's a, a pursuit. There's a setting of your heart that says, I have got to know this kingdom. And what does it mean? It means that the, a king that his kingdom is always a representation of his heart. A king makes his kingdom look like what's in his heart. And King Jesus has a kingdom. And so when we're talking about seeking the kingdom God first. We're talking about seeking the heart of Jesus. We're talking about seeking the heart of an almighty God. We're talking about seeking the heart. What makes him tick? What makes him move? What makes him operate and function the way that he operates. What is in his heart? What kind of love has been demonstrated by sending his son? And how can I pursue that kingdom? How can I pursue the heart of God? And the second thing that we're pursuing is his righteousness. So we're pursuing his heart and we're pursuing righteousness. That which is right, that which is good, you know, never before have we seen such a stark contrast of good and evil in our nation. It's there. And I tell you, we can be overcome with the evil. We can overcome, be overcome with the one that has the megaphone of wickedness. Or we can listen to the still small voice of rightness, of what is good. How many know you don't have to Come under the dictates of the wicked one. Seek first his kingdom and seek what is right. The things that are lovely, the things that are true, the things that are of good report. They're virtuous things. Think on those things that we can meditate upon what Jesus has done. So many right now in the church, we're meditating on the things that the devil's doing. I can, can I just encourage you? Seek first his kingdom. Seek the heart of the king and seek his righteousness. You know, when I look at people, I don't want to look at the crap in their lives, I want to see the gold. When we're in, you know, relational, sometimes, not often, sometimes me and Susie, we have an argument. And I really do, I need to step back in those times and I need to say, what is the gold in this woman? What do I see in her that maybe isn't quite coming across like what I'm hearing right now? What if we could just live life in a way that when somebody opposes us, we could start to see the gold in those people? That's what it is to seek the righteousness of God. It's looking for what's right wherever we can find it. And then aligning with what's right. Seek first the kingdom of God. So your kingdom come. Let your will be done. We think that it's something new, but you know, it says that from the time of John the Baptist, this the kingdom suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Jesus said that. I think it's Matthew eleven. And really, what it's saying there is that. When John started preaching as a pre-runner to Jesus, the kingdom of God, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. That it started a war. It started a battle. There was a declaration. Up until that time, it was the law that was being preached. From John the Baptist on, it was the gospel of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom. And I tell you that created a war. And there's a violence. There's a there's a there's a zeal with which the violent take it by force. That there is something in the heart of man that is of God. It's called the kingdom of God. That is longing to see some things and to longing for it to burst out. And there's a violence. That we take this kingdom by force. Now, it's an eternal kingdom. I want to review a little bit in Genesis chapter 1. Mind if I get rid of these things? Um, Number one, it's an invasive force. Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning God created heavens and earth. The earth was without form and it was void. Darkness was over on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters." Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. I believe that what's happening there is there's a confrontation. We know that the earth was out form, it was void. We know that God had created. I don't know, there's a lot of theories out there of what that looked like. What, what you know, a pre-Adamic race and... All this stuff, and was it a literal six days, seven days? Was it, you know, all, all that stuff, and I don't know, it's above my pay grade. All I know is that there was a confrontation of light with darkness. And this is before the sun and moon was created. I think four days before the sun and moon was created. So it's a spiritual light that was confronting spiritual darkness, and it was an invasive force. That this was the eternal God. This was the eternal kingdom of God. How many know that God's kingdom did not start with creation? We're in a, a, a timeline that is without end, either direction. And we're somewhere in here, in the middle of that timeline, where each of us has an encounter with God. We say yes or we say no, but it's a, it's a finite point in time. Where we have this ability to recognize the kingdom of God that is superior to every other kingdom, and a king who is superior to every other king. And that begins a warfare because it'll start to confront the darkness in the Canaan of our own hearts. Do you you guys know what I mean by the darkness of the Canaan in our own hearts? Is that scary? It's only scary if we hide it, if we hide from God. But we want the light to dispel the darkness in our hearts, right? Anyways, that's the way I look at it. You know, We're body, soul, and spirit. And the body, the soul, to me, is the Canaan that's been given to us in the gospel. The spirit is absolutely perfect. But the soul is where there's a battle going on, Right? Battle of the mind. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so there's this transformation that's taking place in the soul. Isn't that good? So this is an eternal kingdom. It just shows up in Genesis chapter 1 and verse, you know, to confront the darkness. But God is a God of increase, He's a God of investment. This is part of the thing when we're saying, Your kingdom come. What we're asking is for an increase in his kingdom. We're saying, let your kingdom increase in the planet. And it was really the mandate, the Genesis mandate. Genesis 126 says that God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish, over Uh, of the sea, and over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. God created you and me in his image. There's something inbred into our creation that is like God. There's a number of different ways that I can see that, but The the bottom line of this one is that he says to them, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That means to trample it underfoot, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And that includes the snake in the garden. Now, how'd the snake get in the garden? I don't know. Again, that's above my pay grade. I don't quite understand those things, but all I know is that God created a garden that had the essence of the kingdom of God in it. And you can see the harmony that God had with mankind where he was fellowshipping with man that they'd walk with God in the cool of the day where God would bring, he'd create and then he'd set man over his creation and they would till the earth and they'd till the ground. And then you'd see this wonderful wonderful place where God would bring the animals to Adam and he had named the animals. And whatever Adam called the animals, that was what they were. Some people say that Adam actually prophesied the nature of those animals by his name that he gave them. And there's this co-laboring in the kingdom with God. And it's an eternal kingdom and it's a kingdom where there was absolute beauty and harmony and goodness and love. There was no darkness in that kingdom. Until the snake comes. And then man chooses a king. And he wasn't choosing really Satan as the king. That's just what happened. He was actually choosing himself as a king. You'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. And so man chose to make themselves a perversion of the God that they had already were created in the image of. We make lousy gods. I mean, I look at the landscape of where we're at right now, and there was a time I thought I had a lot of the answers. I'm just not so sure anymore. (laughs) But I do know what I do know. And I do know that my God is faithful and that he is a good king and that his kingdom is doing just fine. Thank you very much. And as Renee has put it so many times, that we have this invitation into a kingdom. We have a, a, a call from the heart of the Father to come and live in this kingdom. We somehow think that's church life, and it's not. It's more than that. It is a trip back to the garden where we have Fellowship with the God of all creation. Can you imagine that? We sang that song, Boldly come before the throne. Ah, man, do you know that you are at least as righteous as Adam and Eve were before the fall? Because of Christ, if you have faith in Christ? Otherwise, in Hebrews 4.16, it wouldn't be able to say, Let us now therefore come boldly before the throne of God to obtain mercy and to find grace in our time of need. That means when we need, we can come boldly before the throne of God. Adam and Eve were removed from the garden because of a sin. Right? How many know that if Adam and Eve hadn't done it, you'd have done it? I mean, I know me well enough that I would have done it. And yet there is something in the kingdom of God that supersedes even our sin. It's bigger than our sin. So now we can stand here. I don't know if that song impacted you like it impacted me. But when I know that I can come boldly before the throne of God, that still undoes me. This is the kingdom that there's an invitation for each of us to come to. And it's a kingdom that didn't start in Genesis. But Genesis gave man a mandate to be fruitful and multiply and subdue, to take what's in the garden. I believe it was the heartbeat of God to take what was in the garden and to expand it all over the earth. It wasn't just a garden mandate, it was an earthwide mandate that was given to man. Right? This is a big deal. The kingdom of God didn't start when Jesus and John came on the scene. They just started declaring the good news of the kingdom. And this is the kingdom that we're saying, Your kingdom on earth, your kingdom come. Why? Because it's a kingdom of righteousness, it's a kingdom of everything that is good. It's a kingdom of everything that is holy and pure. It's a kingdom that when we function in the dynamics of that kingdom, we do well. When we violate the dynamics of that kingdom, it just doesn't go so good for us. We've got a nation right now who is not functioning under the dynamics of the kingdom. And we can see the chaos and the confusion that it's caused. But Renee, you heard that song, and I believe that's the song, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, right? My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's trampled out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He is, I've seen the, something of his swift and sword. His truth is marching on. I don't know all of the song. But that is the cry of our hearts this morning. That's the cry of our hearts. I don't have a lot of confidence in man and politician and government. And yes, we come under government and we, we honor government and all those things are, are part of the kingdom. But at the end of the day, we have got to see the swift hand of the sword of the Lord upon our nation to eradicate the silly thinking, the stuff, the stupid stuff that we have given ourselves to. And we can see that the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored, that that there there is a wrath of God that is very, very real. It's part of his kingdom. Because it is a kingdom of righteousness, that there will be wrath upon all ungodliness, all wickedness. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you have put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have put faith that your sin is covered by the only blood of Jesus, by the precious blood of Jesus, then you don't fear the wrath of God. We're not called to wrath. We're delivered from the wrath of God. If you're a young person here and you're still riding on the tail, the coattails of your parents' faith, can I encourage you to make this Jesus your Savior? see your sin, confront your sin with the goodness of God, with the light of the gospel. Without a confrontation, there is never a victory. So there's this confrontation that we are facing when we're saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. But it's amazing that God is a God of expansion. How many of the parables talk about investing seeds and, and uh, somebody that was given so many talents and others were given other talents. and You remember the one that buried the talent? Do you remember what he said about the master? He said, Lord, and this is talking about God, I know that you're a hard and an austere man. You reap where you haven't sown. You gather where you haven't, you know. He says, you're a hard and an austere man. That's just another way of saying, God, you're really shrewd. That you're serious about sowing and reaping. You're really serious about giving us talents that we cannot bury in the ground. You have invested in my life. And I expand the kingdom by investing my life in kingdom purposes. Now, that sounds scary, but you know, it's really good news. It's a matter of surrender. Aren't you privileged? Don't you feel like an awe that God has invested in you? I don't care who you are sitting here. God has invested part of himself in you. He has put something uniquely in each and every person sitting here. He's given you talents and all the joy of investing (laughs) when you know that that you invest what God has and it's invested in the soil of people's hearts and it brings fruit. I tell you, there's, there's tremendous joy in that. But even greater than that, that your name is written in The Lamb's book of life. Your kingdom come. It's a kingdom that offends the mind. Jesus came in Matthew chapter 5. Start talking about an upside-down kingdom. Renee mentioned the upside-down kingdom. By the way, the the sermons on this topic have been really, really good so far. One that I'll never forget is about the half-dipped sponge. (laughs) How awkward he looked. Do you ever... Feel awkward? Maybe it's because we're only half-dipped. I don't know. Uh, Some fantastic um, truths that have been laid out over the last couple of weeks concerning the kingdom. This is a big deal. God is serious about this right now. So in the Beatitudes, he talks about an upside-down kingdom. A lot of the parables that he told was upside-down kingdom. The kingdom of God, the dynamics of the kingdom of God are selfless in nature. They, they deny self. And everything of conventional wisdom says, get for yourself. You know, everything in, the, in conventional wisdom says, you know, somebody wronged me. They're off limits. And yet Jesus says, forgive the person, bless them. Don't just, yeah, I forgive. Oh, bless. Your enemies. Could you imagine in Washington, D.C., if they were all blessing each other instead of cursing each other? The kingdom works. When in Psalm 19, you ever read Psalm 19? You know, I'm sure you have, but the Psalm 19, I like to look at it in two pieces. It talks about the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The whole earth shows forth his handiworks day into day under speech, night into night knowledge. There's no place, no language where the voice isn't heard. It's like a strong man. Uh, the, you know, the sun is like a strong man running its race, going from one circuit of the earth to the other. And there's this beautiful picture of nature that has a voice. But then It shifts. And it goes to this, it says something like this, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them... Your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. There is great pleasure. There is great reward in keeping of the commandments and the laws of the Lord. Now, this gets tricky. How many have ever been under the heavy thumb of legalism in the church? And many of us have gone the opposite direction Where we said, oh, the law. I don't want the law. I tell you, I've had a change of heart concerning the law in the last year or so. I no longer just put it off as something I can ignore. But I see the beauty of the law. I see the heart of the Father that is represented in the law. I see salvation in all the feasts. In the law. And I see that, that God is always speaking of things that are good. Things that are true. Things that carry his heartbeat. The things that look like him. They're all contained in the law. Paul says the law is good. The law is really good. Psalm 1 says that blessed is the man that doesn't take counsel in the ungodly. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. I'm learning to delight in the law of the Lord. It's not that I don't blow it, and it's not at times where I have to come into alignment with the things that are in the Father's heart. With the things that are good and the things that are pure, the things that are righteous, the things that are holy. And there's a a coming into alignment with that, but there's something in me that is saying, ah, there's a beauty in holiness. There is a beauty and there is a freedom. In coming into the dynamics of the Lord. That when he created, because he's God, he created from his heart. And when he created this earth as we now know it, I believe that he created it out of love. And that all the dynamics of love were injected into creation. And that as we come into the way the earth was created by this God of love, by this God of goodness, by this God of holiness, that when we come into an alignment with that, there's tremendous joy. When we violate how God created mankind to function, how he created society to work, when we violate those things, it just doesn't go good for us. And it doesn't go good for the people around us. And that's because it's an immutable law in the kingdom of God. It's an eternal, God, it's an eternal character and nature of God that he fashioned the world with. And it's an eternal character and nature of God that we like to think of heaven. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more shame. And we somehow think that we, in this period of time, in between, we think that we aren't subject to the laws of the kingdom. We are. And when you do the laws of the kingdom, by the grace of God, by the way, by the grace of God, that verse about let us come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and to find help in our time of need, means that when you need it most, that's when you come. <laughs> See, the natural mind says, Ooh, I've offended God, I'm going to go hide. I'm going to put on some fig leaves or something. Or, you know." But God says, no, no, no. It's in the time of need, according to the kingdom, that you come before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and to find help. It's a good kingdom. There's pleasure in this kingdom. The ultimate pleasure is walking in liberty of the soul. The ultimate pleasure is walking at oneness with God and with people. The ultimate pleasure in in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. God never denied us having pleasures. It's just that the world has a way to bring pleasure and God has a way to bring pleasure. One of the things that it says in the Scripture is that people didn't repent because they loved darkness more than they loved light. Beloved, you are children of light, and you will find the most pleasure in life when you align with this kingdom. When we say, your kingdom comes. Not out there, not everywhere else, not as a whole self, but let your kingdom come right here. Let the dynamics of your kingdom, the truth of your kingdom, let the liberty, the power of your kingdom, let it begin in me. That's pleasure. There's pleasure living in the laws of love. And they're as eternal as God is, the laws of love. One of the great lies of the devil that he uses on people to deceive is that the Bible is outdated and that God has progressed beyond the realm of absolutes. I believe that. When Susie and I, I was raised in a Catholic church, and there's something in there that I I had encounters in the Catholic church when I was a young man, and you know, there's there's always a draw toward God. I didn't know what it was, but Susie and I started living together, and I justified it because I thought, well, that's what everybody's doing. God doesn't care, or many of the other things that I gave myself to. I said, well. God is, I'm still a pretty good guy. You know, I almost broke my arms trying to pat myself on the back because I hadn't murdered anybody. And, you know, there were a lot of those sins that I just kept pushing back a little bit and saying, well, now I've done this. So God must not, He must be okay with that too. And I kept pushing back the absolutes. (laughs) Anybody else? God is a God of absolutes, He is absolutely sure of his righteousness. He is absolutely sure of what it takes to make man tick. How we can live successfully, how we can live in pleasure, how we can live in the goodness of God. What does the kingdom look like? I'm and I'm I knew I'd be over (laughs) over on this is just a topic I love. I, I love talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. So, what does a kingdom lifestyle look like? When a busy mom changes a diaper and connects with that baby, his kingdom is being manifest. Right? When a father takes the time to actually know his child's heart when he administers discipline, the kingdom of God is being manifested. The kind of punishment that says, you did it, Pay the, do the crime, you do the time. You, Swat him, you break him, you put him, stick him in his room where he can think about it. And you never touch the child's heart. But when you touch the child's heart in discipline, when you find out what's going on in the heart of that child, the kingdom of God is being manifest. Husband and wife, when we live with one another in connection and sacrificial love, <laughs> what if couples would try to outserve one another? Kind of sounds like kingdom to me. But when we live in sacrificial love with one another, one of the greatest pictures of the kingdom is being played out in real life healthy marriages. When you give to someone in need or you visit a prisoner, you bring a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, then you're bringing the kingdom when you have compassion, when you have mercy, when you extend love to somebody that's undeserving, when you bring peace where there's violence, when you live in a way that demonstrates an overflow of the fruit of the Spirit, that's your kingdom come. You're having a part in bringing kingdom to earth. Your kingdom come. I believe it's time for the church to search the limitless heart of God. I've said it before here that we come into this kingdom through a very narrow door. There is only one way into this kingdom. It's through the very narrow door of the Lord Jesus Christ and only by his blood, only by the blood that is upon the doorposts of that door. It's Passover. It's it's what happened there. And that's the only way into this kingdom. The thing that is, when we get into this kingdom, it is massive. And it is expansive. There's a simplicity in the gospel of the kingdom. And yet there is a complexity that I will spend the rest of my life searching out the deep dive into things that are a mystery, the things that I don't understand, like why doesn't that work, God? And you, you just, I, I don't know, the way I work it is, I, I'll have a question, and I'll just kind of keep it in my heart. You know, I'll, I'll try to pursue it, but usually it ends up at a dead end, you know, until in fellowshipping with God over those things, all of a sudden an answer will come. It usually comes through Scripture for me. I just love the Word. I've, I love Interacting with the Word. I I love encounters with the Word. And that's the way the Lord works. But there is this place in the kingdom that we can search out the limitless depths of God. And I have a feeling we'll be spending all eternity looking for the end, the limitlessness. You are living in a vast kingdom. It's religion that wants to narrow it down to do's and don'ts. Build a little box so that you feel safe. Most dangerous things in the kingdom are usually the most valuable. The things that take a risk. Risking to love someone that doesn't love you. Risking to give out of your need, out of your poverty, and to be generous. Those things are risky. I mean, no, this is a kingdom of risk. Investment usually is a risk. You know, if you don't believe that, ask people that have lost big in the stock market. I know somebody who invested tens of thousands of dollars in Bitcoin. You know what happened to that? (laughs) Investing is risky business. If you've been disappointed in the church, how many have been in the church long enough to be disappointed? I mean, really? Okay, get over it. Disappointments will come. They're an opportunity to love. They're an opportunity to forgive. They're an opportunity to step into something of the kingdom that otherwise you would never have been able to. How many of you have been bored in your pursuit of God? I'll tell you what boredom looks like. You're looking for something, but you don't know what. Facebook, hoping that something redeemable is on there. You try, you know, oh, I got Marketplace back, so now. Austin Healey's, I love Austin Healy. It used to happen, you know. I'm looking for the, the ideal Austin Healey that looked just like my Austin Healey that I had. And you know, without fail, I come away from that empty Boredom in, in the faith, it's, it, it happens. It happens. Can I encourage you <laughs> that it happens? But there is a place in God to fess up and say, Lord, it's just that I'm not understanding the expanse of your kingdom here. That I'm somehow not stepping into the things that you've laid out for me. I'm not stepping into your will and your purpose. The, I'm not, I'm not, I, I've kind of left off the excitement of investing my talents because I got hurt when I invested my talent. Or I got discouraged when I invested my talent. So God, I'm confused... I'm just going to hang out here for a while. How do you think I know these things, by the way? (laughs) Have distractions replaced wholeheartedness? Last month's topic was wholeheartedness. I'm not so sure I like that title. Maybe because it's too convincing, convicting. Maybe because... When does wholeheartedness actually happen? Because every time I think I'm wholehearted, I find out there's another part of my heart that needs to be wholly given. (laughs) So I'm not so sure that I like that title. I love the understanding of that title. I love that it's not you achieve something, it's the posture of a heart. It's a posture of a heart that says yes, it's a posture of a heart that says surrender into a vastly, vastly superior kingdom and into a vastly superior love. (laughs) Something that we've never known. How many want to give yourself wholeheartedly to that? (laughs) But distractions. The master of deception. He's always setting up smoke and mirrors. Oh, just go over here. Maybe this is the kingdom for you. Or maybe over there. That's really an important thing to do. You know that... Good things can actually kill a Christian? That's another sermon. I believe this is a time where the church is being challenged to be returning, to to restore. And it's not just like a, come back to your first love. This is a warning. Get back to your first love. No, it's an invitation And with every invitation that God gives, he gives an equipping and and an empowering. He gives a grace to step into that. That there is this call back to first love. You remember first love, Steve? You remember when you first tried to win her? There was nothing you wouldn't do. You'd stand on your head and do backflips just to, you know. You tried. And and there's there's a tragedy that happens in marriage where we stop trying to please one another and we, we stop trying to really woo one another. That happens with God too. But God is calling us back to a first love. How many want to respond to a first love? How many want to respond to a call back into that kind of amazement? That kind of like, wow, I can't believe that I'm here. I I, I just can't believe that I am that loved, that I am that accepted in the beloved. Your kingdom come. To step back into first love is to step into your kingdom come. Bring it in me. Let the overflow, like Bob has with the sponge, you know, let the, let the overflow of your kingdom, your kingdom of rightness, your kingdom of goodness, your kingdom of everything that is good and pleasant and real, let that now overflow from me. That's how the kingdom of God has expanded. I love revival. I love the thought of revival. I love the masses coming to God like we've been seeing. But behind it all, it's one life at a time. It is one person at a time in the multitudes saying yes. And we look at the big picture, we say, wow, look at the multitudes, His kingdom is coming. Well, it's coming. But the degree that it comes to one person in their heart in lasting change is the degree to which that massive thing has an effect on nation and our culture. I want to finish with the words of Jesus. Come to me all you who who labor and are heavy laden. Uh, I'll give you rest. Rest has nothing to do with activity. It is stepping into something that you were created for. It is no longer the resistance of what is not ours that we pursue and we have this resistance. To step into the rest is to step into a surrender. I say, yeah. I don't know how, but I say, yeah. I want this. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. The yoke there, is, it's really take my teaching upon you. Take the teachings of the rabbi Jesus. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Can you imagine that we're invited into a learning experience with Jesus? you ever envy Peter and James and John and the boys who sat at Jesus' feet? Do you know that you can, you can sit at the feet of Jesus and learn? And you don't just learn knowledge? You learn heart? Where there's transformation in your heart? (laughs) Oh, come on, this is an invitation. This is the invitation of all invitations. When you're saying, your kingdom come, there's a desire in you that's saying, your kingdom in me, in my heart, come. And the Lord says, it's already there. You just say yes. You say yes. To my kingdom coming. Now, does that mean that you know we, we we sometimes we want to put that into well the sweet by and by when there'll be no more sorrow, no more sin, no more shame, and and you know that your kingdom come doesn't always change our circumstances, but the circumstances come under the kingdom when He is enthroned in your heart, and eventually. Eventually, the kingdom in you will transform the kingdom around you. Because his kingdom in you is very, very powerful. I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your soul. How many want rest for their souls? Do you know how much torment is in our culture right now. You see people who cannot rest. You see people, hearts failing them for fear would be a good way to put it. Oh, beloved, this kingdom is a kingdom of rest. You'll find rest for yourself. Oh man, I'm resting too much in the, we're late. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Father, I pray for every person here, God, that we would see this invitation into your kingdom. When we're praying, your kingdom come. Father, that you show the beauty of your kingdom. You show the beauty of holiness. You see the beauty, that people would see the beauty of the kingdom that we are being invited into. I want to invite you, um, if you just put some music on. Uh, Did you want to close this out? Okay. Okay. Um, I want to invite you to the altar. Uh, there's a, this is a season where there is something happening at the altar. I want to invite you to the altar. We'll have some prayer teams up here. They don't need to pray for you. We really want to give people liberty to connect with God for themselves. To step in this kingdom, sometimes it does take a step. That step represents faith. This is a kingdom that functions from faith. And a step is a step of faith. So I want to, we're going to open the altars. Let's stand together. If you need prayer, we will have prayer teams up here. But if you just want to come and be before the Lord and receive what He has already given to you, but to have faith to come in alignment with what He's already given you, I want to invite you forward. Father, bless this body. I thank you for this body. Continue to move and woo us into your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org.